Welcome to Dropping In, a podcast of storytelling and interviews with your host, Winter Olympian Mercedes Nickel. Thank you so much for dropping in. This is series 10, where it is take two of the Whistler kids. Now, Whistler gets a lot of visitors, but for those of you that don't know, we have almost 12,000 residents in this beautiful town we call Whistler. Now, it does produce a lot of Olympians, as I am one of them, as well as athletes, but I'm excited to share a diverse group of people with you today, um, or throughout this series, rather. I'll be chatting with a diverse group of Whistler kids that grew up in our small Canadian mountain town, from writers to Olympian business leaders to all-around talented people that have come out of our town, Whistler. Now, this is episode 84, so let me introduce the next guest that we will be dropping in with. The first medal ever won by a Canadian man in slalom ski was won by our next guest at the 2009 World Championships, taking home the bronze. This Whistler kid is a three-time Winter Olympian, racing in the 2006, 2010, and 2014 Winter Games. His family moved to from West Vancouver to Whistler in 1995 when he was 13. He has finished in the top 10 a total of 27 times during his World Cup career, and Due to his bronze medal, he was named a Canadian Cowboy, a name given to current members of the Canadian National Men's Alpine Ski Team who have won a World Cup or a World Championships or an Olympic medal. That's pretty cool. He and his teammates founded their Cowboy Camp, awarding an annual bursary to hardworking young ski racers in BC. Now get this, he's got a book coming out. Go to the start, and it will be published and launched this September 2023. This son, husband, father, author, Olympian, world championship medalist, is a Whistler kid. Let's drop in with Mike Janik. Hello, Mike. How are you? Mercedes. What's happening? <laughs> is it weird to hear all those things? <laughs> uh, I keep wondering if you're going to be making something up, but... Uh... <laughs> No, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's kind of like things that, um, while you're in it, you're not really thinking about it. And then when you're done and you reflect, you're like, oh, damn, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> and the further, I like the thing, the further you get away from your retirement date, you know, away yeah. from your athletic career, it seems the better your results get. Because right. like you get, I do get introduced. You're like, oh, world championship, um, uh, gold medalist. And I'm like, yeah. No. That I know. Never happened. But. Do you know? Do, do you know what's funny is though? Um, our family friend Teller Cranston, who's now passed, he's like, if someone makes that mistake, you don't correct them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so funny. All right, Mike, are you ready to drop in on these ten questions that you've never seen before? Yep, you are ready? Dropping in. Okay, number one. Where in the world are you today? I am in beautiful Whistler, BC amazing again they're never rapid because this just gets people to like know you a little bit more right number two the infamous question of the whistler kids series whistler or black comb oh man um, <laughs> As, well, wait where where are you currently uh, sitting right now <laughs> I'm, I'm at the base of whistler mountain and as a kid we grew up mainly on black home 
And so as a Whistler kid, quote unquote, it was black owned. But as if I were to say that to my wife now, she would say, not a chance. I'm definitely Whistler uh, Mountain over black owned because she's the one who drags me over there. Um, so I guess now Whistler Mountain more, but I do love them both. Do you know what? In your bio, I didn't even say what job you're doing right now. So do you want to just jump in and let us know? Yeah, I'm the executive director for the Worcester Mountain Ski Club. So back in the development side of sport, working with uh, the club that I uh, grew up in. And yeah. it's, yeah, the the development pathway for ski racers um, in, in this valley. So cool. Really proud of you. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> number three. Um, what was your Whistler hangout when you were a kid and what is it now? <laughs> <laughs> the Whistler hangout <clears throat> as a kid, um, ooh, probably the arcade, which doesn't exist. Anymore. Yeah. Okay. Like, like, um, which one? Cause we had a fair few under the conference center under the con uh, like okay, so there was one in the conference center like in the mid 90s that was like the one with the yeah. air hockey that was um uh, feet and bo jarvis both brought that one up and it's uh it was like mm, mm, wonderland wonder whistler wonderland or something like that yes yeah but, but then there was another one that's in like the con like where the core was do you uh, remember that one now you're pushing my memory i uh <laughs> I would be, but that was, that one for sure. We used to definitely go hang out there or, yeah. you know, stroll, stroll a village in our, in our teen years. Yeah. Um, and then uh, on Hill, I would the for, for me, it was the uh, orange chair um, oh, was, yeah. you know, our training zone and really just lapping goats gully. And uh, <laughs> after we got out of the course, uh, so that would definitely, we spent a lot of time there um and then nowadays probably the trails the bike and hiking trails around Chakamas, around where we live yeah is uh is uh is yeah pretty common hangout spot all right nice nice that's it's funny that everyone brings up the arcade i love that okay <laughs> number four are you a morning person or a night owl a morning person. I, as much as I try to be a night owl, you know, yeah. when I retired, I thought I would be like all loosey goosey and not <laughs> an intense uh, competitive athlete. And I had a goal to be able to fall to like stay up and just sleep on the couch and not go to bed. Uh, but then I, the anxiety would creep in that I wasn't going to wake up in the proper space. And um, so I could never do it. Um, so, oh my gosh. You've been uh, also, you've been like trained like your whole career to be a morning person. Yes. Yes. Uh, you guys I do get like up. to sleep in, but I do. Yeah. We do get up early. I don't mind it. Like, okay. So when we were at Mount hood, you were there probably at the same time I was, Yeah. we would, we would see like the ski racers running up and down the like street. Uh, and I was like, man, they're up so early. Like what time would you have to get up when you I were mean, like we were doing that? Like four 30 or five, uh, and then you go for your morning jog and it's funny. We had, so it was patterned into us, obviously to get up, do your morning jog. And I don't know if the coaches, uh, really, you know, thought that this was a, net, a must, or they just wanted to build in, uh, some good culture to have hard work. But I, I remember getting to 18 years old and I, you know, I did it from whatever, 13, 14, all those years. Yeah. And I was 18, 19. And that was my first year on the national team. 
And we were in Colorado, it was the fall. And I went outside, I was like minus 15, snow. And I remember starting to jog down the street. And then I stopped and I went, hey, wait a minute. I don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> You're like, I've made it. <laughs> yeah, I, I turned around. And, I mean, I definitely had iterations and it. My, my morning jog uh, routine changed. There was yeah. still a warm up, but I didn't need to go pounding outside uh, <laughs> from 5 a.m. Isn't that on. funny? So yeah. funny. Yeah, very different reality from snowboarding and skiing. Yes. I can tell you that much, but much yeah. respect. Um, number six. Oh, wait, uh, you're a morning person. So number number five, how do you start mm -hmm. your day? It's probably different now. You have a child. Yes, uh, hopefully it's, well, it's usually now with, uh, getting getting Poppy up. Uh, or no, yeah. she gets us up. So uh, starting to do that. But prior uh, to uh, Poppy, and I try, I still try to do it with her, but I, I try to get in some yoga movement um, yeah. and just some little bit, but usually when we're working early mornings uh, still for the ski club, it's, it's mm -hmm. get a coffee. Well, making my espresso is probably the, the constant like, ritual in all yeah. of it. Yes. So, so you are a coffee man. And uh, uh, that's, yeah, that's the constant. There, um, I had a great conversation with a, an athlete about coffee and he's like, well, what kind of coffee do you like? I was like, I don't, I'm not, I'm the odd one out that doesn't actually drink coffee. <laughs> I feel uh, it's like a drug in me. It's not my thing. Yes, it's, uh, <laughs> I got limited. I have to limit it. I can only do a couple Americanos a day max, but uh, yeah. I do really enjoy a nice morning coffee. There we go. Uh, number six, would you choose a book or would you choose Netflix? Uh, <laughs> uh, I'd like to say book, uh, but the default probably is Netflix. Um, yeah. But I do, I go in waves. I go in waves. If, mm -hmm. it, if there's a book that catches me, then I'm definitely choosing that. But probably the majority of the time it's Netflix. Okay. And then when you read a book, are you like so drawn in that you like start to finish? Mm -hmm. Got to? No, a thousand percent not. I don't you, know okay. how those people, no, I mean, I'm I don't know how people. those happen. Really? <laughs> I'm I, get, I get in it and I can't stop. Wow. And I have no friends for like however long it takes me. Yeah. I have a problem. I, I admire that. I, I, yeah, I know <laughs> don't. it's more short, short burst. I don't uh, think it's healthy, but here we are. <laughs> um, okay. What was the ne the last uh, Netflix show that you binged? I'm always like intrigued. Uh, we just finished off a friend's uh, um, recommendation. We just finished Cleo. Cleo? Uh, Cleo. It's with it's German with subtitles. And she's oh. a, a former assassin from the fall of the Berlin Wall and the Cold War. Uh, so I quite enjoyed it. One, yeah. uh, because of the whole spy espionage piece. But the German subtitles work because I got to practice my German a little bit and listen to it a bit. Is that a thing? Well, I, I don't know. I, well, I tried to learn <laughs> German during my, during my career. Did you? Uh, and and so well, we spent a lot of time in in, in Europe. Uh, in yeah, in Austria, we had a home base there. Yeah. Um, so I feel a little, you know, a little connected to the language. Okay, cool, interesting. But it's really good. It's really good. Okay, Cleo, nice. Mm -hmm. um, number seven. Name one thing. If there's there, I know there's going to be a million uh, that you've learned the hard way. Uh, that I'm not always right. <laughs> That I'm not always right. Uh, that sucks to learn. 
Um, <laughs> then you're like really wrong, really wrong. Oh um, my god! But uh, yeah, no, it's um, the yeah. I think. Um, I'll I love that. that. I love that. that. That's so good. Oh man. On the, on the first episode of the series, I had Bo Jarvis on and he's like everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was True. like, totally fair. Totally fair. Uh, uh, okay. Number seven. What is your current favorite sport? I, I would say mountain biking yeah. is, is, uh, it's, I mean, I like, I like golf quite a bit. Um, and, but mountain biking is just so accessible and you can get out in a short burst and it actually challenges what I learned in, in skiing and yeah. you can apply it there. And actually it makes me a better coach, a ski coach because of how much I have to get better in, in, in biking. So it, it, there's a lot of similarities there. That's so funny you say that because I think I'm a, not a good biker and it's very much a lot of the same cues as when mm-hmm. I coach for snowboarding and I'm like, Oh, this is what it's like to be out of your comfort zone. It's very yeah. uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's so, yeah, that's so true. You um, put yourself in the, uh, in the shoes of the kids and exactly. Like, All yeah. right. <laughs> okay. It's tough. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, number nine, because we live in Whistler, we do have both. If you had to choose, you can totally choose both. Um, lake or mountains? Uh, mountain <laughs> lakes? Do those count? Yeah, they do. That's a good yes, answer. Mountain lakes. <laughs> uh, but that does imply summer. Um, yeah. Yes, I spend enough time in the winter that I'll happily choose a nice summer day on the lake. Yeah, for, I can't wait for that. Uh, All right, the last one of the rapid fire, which is never rapid, but we have got to know you a lot better. Number 10, what is one core memory from your childhood in Whistler? Um, hmm. uh, that's a good one. I was going to say, well, <laughs> dancing on the tables at Dusty's while my parents uh, had an app break. And yeah. uh, the old Dusty's, the trailer. Um, yeah. And the, that's that probably is etched in, yeah burned in my I love uh, that burned in my memory yeah that's so I can't believe you remember that I yeah my sisters and I would routinely dance on the picnic tables outside the trailer they had great arcade games there too so we'd go in and out between the arcade games um, (laughs) so good so good oh my gosh being a Whistler kid let's get into that now like all right you we've brought up the arcade a couple of times it sounds like that's all we had back in the day um well they were still building like the whole village when we were growing up so mm-hmm. it was probably like a quarter of what it is now would you say yeah i mean village north or marketplace definitely wasn't there it was just a little yeah. village stroll but i mean my memories of uh, <clears throat> of felt like really when i was young and i was still coming up and down from vancouver and yeah. we moved here when i was 13. so I think at that point in 95, it was pretty, yeah, I mean, not the same as what it is today, obviously, but relatively similar. Um, But uh, it was, I don't know, it was feel like a kid's playground. I mean, it still does. Yeah. It was super fun. 
It's and you've traveled around the whole pretty much world going to snow resorts in Europe and everywhere. Does anything compare to Whistler for you? There's elements to it um, in different places, but it definitely feels really organic here. And the resort, like some people try to do it very similar, but then it becomes like Disneyland esque, mm-hmm. um, where Whistler's still for me pretty core. And so yeah. that mixture of those two is pretty special. Um, and, and what it can offer, um, like on the mountain, it's yeah, for it, the lift accessible train you can get to is, it's next level. It is next level. And, and it's, whenever I get clients, I'm like, guys, these are really long runs. Like, pace yourselves a lot of people that come here like are like i got this i'm like i don't know that you do (laughs) (laughs) yeah they quickly learn when the ski out takes an hour and a half you're like okay we just finished lunch we're gonna make our way down yeah like well it's gonna be an hour and a half yeah totally totally oh i you know what i didn't say that we both do the ski and ride with an olympian for whistler black that's right so you you do that as well as your job that you're a few of those i do less and less but they are yeah Yeah, totally. So um, back to growing up in Whistler, and I want to get like a take on on your way of growing up and then how you think it's going to be for your daughter growing up. Mm. Yeah, Um, that's a great question. I mean, it was pretty loose, it felt like. Uh, But in the best way, right? Yeah. Well, my first year we went to Pemberton High School uh, in grade eight. And yeah. so, you know, basically driving up and down between the 30 minutes between Vancouver and Whistler, you felt like there was a ton of freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was more, okay, we had a handful of kids that that were up here for the sport and some, some of them, their parents, you know, didn't live up here uh, all, uh, oh, yeah. all week. And so it was a little, um, there was a little freedom and places to go hang. There were uh, some good parties. Let's just say that. Yes. When we so, were older. <laughs> but I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it, it's, it, there's, it, there's probably similar pieces to that. Um, but the busyness is probably the biggest difference. Like, mm-hmm. you know, on the mountain, there's, um, it, it's probably a little more, uh, um, a little more fervor out there. A lot more people uh, sure. trying to get the same stuff, but I'm sure. Yeah, it may not feel the same for a kid. Does it? Does Whistler still have like the community feel for you? That I always, I always feel that way. And you, I work with you know our employees, our coaches that come in and um, for a season or two seasons, and uh, or people who have lived here from maybe their thirties or twenties, mm-hmm. and they may not feel that, and they talk about that. But I, I think because you do have those connections, you know, I'll see you around town or the, you run into people that you just know. And so that for me is what really makes that sense of community. It's like we had friends come up the other weekend and they uh, ran into, they're like, Oh my God, we ran into people that we knew at the grocery store. And uh, I think that small town vibe is even with all the tourists, um, you can always find it. And you got to be a little, a little um, uh, creative. Uh, very very true i want to i want to talk about um you when did you get on the like ski team and when you were in high school how did that work for you with traveling and everything 
Yeah, it worked out well. Uh, it wasn't easy, but the high school we had up here was um, super accommodating from, you know, essentially from when I was in grade 10. Mm -hmm. uh, so on the provincial ski team for two years and then on the national team when I was 18. So actually on the national team, I was already graduated. But even on that provincial ski team or when I was on the Worcester Mountain Ski Club, uh, I was gone all winter. Um, exactly, yeah. Basically. And the school just accommodated us and a couple other athletes um, in different sports. And we had, this is obviously before the internet uh, was, you know, could do your courses online. Not before the internet, actually, ish. But, ish, you know, yeah. Um, <laughs> but you couldn't do courses online. So they'd make the learning guides, they'd give you printouts and you'd have mm -hmm. two courses to complete mm -hmm. across the winter. So it was the best, like, honestly. School, and we did well in school. And, um, but there's a lot of wasted time. <laughs> It's well, cool. no, but, but uh, I, it is, so, it is, yeah. it is super interesting because if I look back on it, because I was in that program as well, I was like, a that taught us like really good self motivation because yeah. you had to get the work done and you didn't have anyone like really looking over you, and yeah. you were away on the road a lot. <laughs> yeah, so you build that intrinsic motivation. It's like okay, mm -hmm. we need to get this in, and you had your teammates that you were working with. So yeah, I, I just. Honestly, the it was the best lifestyle, uh, that pursuit of high performance that I always had something to go to. Mm -hmm. Um, and it gave that freedom. And then I obviously loved school in the fall and spring when we were back. Yeah. Um, but it was yeah, it it was I it was quite nice and I couldn't wait to graduate, that was for sure. <laughs> The same thing. Yeah. So when you came back um from the two thousand nine world championships. I was, I don't, I was, I don't, I was probably not living in Whistler at the time. I was probably in Mammoth Lakes, California. What was that like to come home? I mean, I know well, that, wait, wait, wait. First, I need to say that I understand that like ski racing is like the Mecca in Europe and you guys are like gods over there. So it's probably a little bit different when you come home to Whistler, but I mean, still our community is so rad. Was it amazing? Well, it was actually kind of sad on one oh, side no. because... <laughs> Well, I didn't get to come home right away. And that oh, was yeah. because we had to basically the, the world championships is in the middle of the season, like the Olympics. And then we had another world cup uh, to go straight to. So I actually went, I was so fired up and all I wanted to do was come home, see my friends and family, yeah, the community that supported me. Um, but I went right to another race in Sestriere in Italy. And I was really bummed. Like, oh, no. I, yeah, I was super uh, <laughs> down. I didn't want to be there. And, you know, it's one of the things the coaches set the plan for you. And it was yeah, it made yeah, sense yeah. before the medal. And it probably didn't make sense after. Um, but we didn't get to celebrate it. So, no, well, we celebrated in Europe for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, when, when I did come home in the spring uh, around the Whistler Cup, which is the international children's race that we host for the last 30 years here, they did do a nice celebration around that. Um, but yeah, it was, so it was actually interesting this year at the world championships, we had two athletes, uh, alumni from our club, Cam Alexander and Jack Crawford, who were bronze and uh, gold medalists. And they fortunately came back uh, for us right away because their next world cup was in aspen so oh. they stopped in and we got to host 
uh, a meet and greet at the club cabin with them. We had a bunch of kids oh, yeah. here and sign autographs, take pictures. So that felt I, really good to be able to, you know, give that little celebration for them. And they were, yeah, they were super appreciative. And, I have full goosebumps on my body. That's yeah. like so kind to do. Yeah. And I mean, they, the kids are fired up, but the, but being in that position before the kids, uh, sorry, the athletes, you know, it means a lot to them too. Totally. So, uh, yeah. Totally. Oh, I love that. So cool. Like, I, again, I think I think our community does does a, a really good job of of celebrating the athletes a, a lot of the time. Um, Feet Banks and I were talking about how Whistler kids try and put on like events and free things to like mm-hmm. really bring the community together again. Like he did the horror fest. I do the fam jam. I had the real wild kittens on and they do like skateboard lessons. Um, and so let's talk about for how many years did you do the cowboy camp? Yeah. The, the Mike Manny cowboy camp was uh, myself and another teammate, Manny Osborne, another yeah. kid. And we did it for 10 years um which seems wild because it was a lot of work and we were so we were like early 20s and uh we're like how do we do this how do we put this on how do we raise money yeah but i think the the like you said um that we're inspired to put these on because we know the impact that sport or Mm -hmm. art can have on someone's life and so when you're impacted by something like you said sport art uh music um, you know, you want to offer that to someone else. And so when we got to a place in our careers, Manny and I, and we, um, where we had some financial stability, we had some success. We're like, okay, we need to pass this on. And it was actually Manny that, that pushed me. Uh, we were doing a bursary, uh, for, you know, a thousand dollars each that went to two kids or four kids. Yeah. And we said, Hey, we, he, he said, Hey, we need to do more. Uh, let's, let's do it. Let's do a camp. And so we targeted kids who were in that transition age to what is the FIS, which is sort of the international stage of ranking and ski racing. And it was when they're 15 turning 16 and, and we wanted to inspire them and see, Hey, it's possible. Like myself, Manny made it through the financial challenges, the, um, yeah. the commitment challenges with school. And uh, yeah, it started with 10 kids from BC that we rented a house in Whistler and we uh, all have them come and, and uh, yeah, we're like, okay, you don't have to pay for anything when you get here. And the mount so was amazing cool. in supporting it. And then it grew to, I think we had 25 or 24 at the most from across Canada. We were paying for flights to come in, which seems wild now. And I can't believe we did it, but um, kudos so to Manny. Cool who always found the sponsors and we had great partners um, to help us along the way. So yeah, even to this day, like um, there's uh, a bunch of coaches that I work with now who went yeah. to the Mike and Manny camp and they still talk about it. Oh, um, I and like Reese Howden, who uh, is the globe winner for ski cross, the overall yeah. crystal globe winner. He yeah. came one year and uh, we had like, there's some great stories from that. Um, Sam Mulligan, who's on the Canadian national team, uh, came. Uh, Broad Broad Thompson came. Oh, uh, he's going to be on on next. Oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Actually, well, maybe you could ask him how he met his wife. Uh, it may or may not been at the cowboy camp. Uh, 
Uh, <laughs> 15 years old. Uh, I love it. I love it. So awesome. But, you know, so I think those, you know, when you're impacted by something special like sport, like music, like art, um, you want to share it. And yeah. I think that, um, yeah, those were, those were pretty, pretty cool years. And now look at you. You're just breeding a whole another generation. Doing and the generation and the next uh, and the next. Yes, a small part. <laughs> but I think that, you know, I do feel um, like I have a sense of responsibility to come back and, and be a part of, mm-hmm. you know, always improving the, the system, the development system, the sport pathway. Um, yeah. yeah, so. I do want to touch on that too, because I, I also, I mean, I could make your bio the whole 30 minutes, but I'm not, I wasn't going to, um, you also sat on the FIST board. Is that correct? The FIST athlete commission. Yeah. The FIST athlete commission. So how long were you on that for? I did. So FIST, the federation, the international ski federation. Yeah. Um, I did four years and I mm-hmm. learned that was super interesting because FIST from the athlete perspective is like this bureaucratic, huge, uh ship that you know entity that is slow moving and not innovative and you know i'm just yeah, like yeah. selling it um so i would complain as an athlete as we yeah. do uh athletes yeah. love to complain and then one of the former racers uh an austrian guy who was on the commission he said hey why don't you get involved in this yeah and i was you know you're like okay obviously i've complained enough or now they're asking me to do something about it um so i went and you know i learned uh, it was amazing. I learned about their board structure and how it worked. And and you once you get involved in something, you realize all the nuances uh, that are there, which make change challenging. Yeah. And, you know, not that the it doesn't validate what the athletes were feeling. It just gives context to it. And as well, it helped push. It helped us be able to push. And so once we figured it out, I mean, probably the biggest success we had uh, was myself. There were some amazing other athletes on there. Keegan Randall, I learned a ton from, who's an uh, American uh, cross-country skier. Okay. And she was incredible. Um, but, you know, us on the Alpine side, we got uh, a proposal passed to raise the prize money um, oh. for the athletes. And that was a really big learning where, you know, we came in at the beginning just like, raise the we prize, need- give us more money. Yeah. And, no ifs, ands, or buts, just yes. do it. And then... <laughs> The chair of the Alpine committee he said, well, come with a proposal and give us the why. And we got to show how inflation had moved and prize money was stagnant and where the money was coming from. And and we weren't fully successful to get our big ask, but we were successful in improving it by a decent amount. So, Amazing. Um, yeah, just how to have, you know, to affect change in those bureaucratic uh, and big organizations. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of great people there doing you know, with, with great intention. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it was super That's interesting. I, I keep learning sitting on the athletes council for Canada snowboard and the yeah. Canadian Olympic committee athletes commission as well. I'm like always learning and everything takes forever, but trying yeah. to give back to sport, I think is like so important and you have really paved the wave to show it how athletes should do it as well. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. anything else about growing up in Whistler? Um, <laughs> uh well they probably don't um when the Nordic bridge when it first came in and we decided to see if we could drive across it that was probably one uh, <laughs> no way 
uh, you know, they don't always put, there's a lot less people back then and they didn't always put barriers on the Valley Trail and you can usually drive like a Volkswagen Golf uh, around. But, um, <laughs> well, don't worry. There's so many tourists that end up on the Valley Trail. Uh, that so, is true. So for our In the listeners, middle of the day. Listeners and viewers, like in Whistler, as I've said before, we do have this walking trail system, but it does have a yellow line and it looks like a mini a road, road. Um, yeah. and and tourists get a little turned around and they end up <laughs> either in the village or on the valley trail and you're just like how did you get on this pedestrian walkway yeah i think that's the interview you need to have on like what was the thought process <laughs> of yourself in the middle of village square um but oh, it also it is it, there's a few lessons there that if you park illegally you know in the commercial loading zone in Worcester and you don't want to pay for parking you'll get a ticket but if you park very illegally, like in the middle of the village, people will just think you're supposed to be there. So right. you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> just park, just park right outside this fancy restaurant. Yeah. Or, and like, oh, they must be like doing a service <laughs> run or something. There's an event going on. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. I love it so much. I'm, I'm like more like jaw dropped most of the time, and then I'm like, oh, they don't know what they're yeah. doing. Yeah, that's the best. Got to be gentle with the tourists here. Yes. <laughs> well, Mike, thank you so much for dropping in. We didn't touch on your book, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can you, um, can you plug that? I want to hear about yeah. it. So uh, it was a three-year project um, that I wrote, and I wanted to write. It it's about my career and, mm -hmm. um, you know, the pressures of high performance and, and self-discovery, you know, yeah. using sport um as uh as you go the through the ups and downs um to discover more about who i am and how i want to be in this world and yeah. and so yeah it was a it was a wild three-year project um a lot of learning but super rewarding and we're just coming to uh being able to to share it so okay. we'll start with a short run um in june where we'll get it out to a few people uh, to get some hype going and then launch it in September. Oh, I'm um, so proud of you. That's really yeah. exciting. Inspiring. Yeah, yeah no, it's thanks. It's, it honestly is one of the coolest things, um, I've done and, yeah. uh, I can't wait to share it. Wicked. Fun. All right. Well, mm -hmm. we'll be on the lookout and for our listeners, we've also had, um, your sister on in nice. the, uh, shoulder season blues series. And we got some good tips from her from, uh, how to, how to get over those shoulders, shoulder season blues mm -hmm. right now. It is, uh, May 17th and the sun is shining. So we're, shouldn't really have the shoulder season blues, but a lot of people in May, have, I mean, I had this when the mountains started to close and I was like, Oh, what do I do next? What's up? Yes. So I would go back and listen to those episodes. Uh, cause they're pretty helpful. Mike, oh, nice. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for dropping in on this Whistler Kids Take Two. Yeah. Thanks, Mercedes. <laughs> Welcome to Dropping In, a podcast of storytelling and interview. So much for dropping in today. You can find everything you want to know about Dropping In with Mercedes at droppinginwithmercedes.com. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Thanks, DJ Kenosis, for the music and my mom for the intro voice.
I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.